last Sunday, we had an impromptu moment in the worship service where we sang a hymn, an old school hymn, and God just blessed the house. And as a result, I've been thinking about hymns this week. And here's one. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. So as a result of that hymn, I'm going to put a tag on this sermon this morning, grace that is greater. You may not feel you need this this morning, but yes, you do. And you not only need to know about grace this morning for yourself, how God's grace superabounds over your sin, but you also need to tune into this message because you have friends and family who need to hear about and know about and taste this grace that you are blessed to enjoy yourself. So grace that is greater. Let's pray. Father God, it's always good to hear about grace, your grace, your favor, your unearned, unmerited favor for us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We can only receive it and enjoy it and be transformed by it. So Holy Spirit, would you minister? Would you encourage today? Might we get closer to you? Might the grace of God that we're going to learn about in the life of a patriarch remind us, Lord, that we all fall short ourselves, but we thank you, Lord, for grace that superabounds over our shortcomings. A grace, Lord, that not only saves us, but a grace that changes us. I pray for anyone who may be lost today, that, Lord, you'll save them by your grace. If there's anyone here today, Lord God, who needs a church home, that, Lord, your spirit will speak to them and say, this is the place, this is the time, Lord, would you bless. We love you. Can't wait to get into this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, describes to us Moses, one of his qualities, one of his attributes, one of his characteristics. And in that passage, it says that Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth. Some versions will say of Numbers 12 that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And so what we're seeing is that Moses was humble. He was a meek Man, But meekness does not mean weakness. It, it means that you have power, but it's under control. It's harnessed. You are submitted to the Lord. You have a proper understanding of who you are in light of who he is. You humble yourself and you trust him. And the Bible says that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Now, for me, number one, this is comical. This is funny to me. You know why this is funny to me? 
because Moses is the dude that wrote this in Numbers chapter 12. So he wrote this about himself. And I heard once you start saying you're humble, you ain't humble no more. <laughs> but he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he writes the truth. And it's even in Numbers, it's in parentheses where he's having an ought with family members who have stepped against him and his authority, Miriam and Aaron. And they begin to question uh, Moses' ministry and saying, has God only spoken through Moses? In other words, we want more pulpit time too. Not just Moses, but we're prophets in our own right. But they weren't prophets like Moses because God spoke to Moses mouth to mouth or face to face. And so Moses put a parenthetical comment in there to say, they, they, they're coming at me the wrong way, but I am the most meekest and humblest cat in the land. So it's comical, but on the other hand, it's incredible. It's incredible. Because in Numbers chapter 12, it shows me that God is able to change a person, to make a person humble, to make a person meek. Why am I saying that? Because the Bible which Moses was writing, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. He wrote some things about himself that weren't too flattering. So as he said, he was the most humblest man on the face of the earth. The Bible lets us know he also had a temper that was out of this world. We know Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, and he grew up in uh, Pharaoh's house. He had the best education in the land, but he was also a Hebrew. He was a child of Hebrew slaves. So he's getting the best education in the land, but he hasn't had an encounter with God yet to begin changing his nature. Because you can't meet God and remain the same. He, he met the Lord at the burning bush and God burned some things out and burned some things into that man on that day. But before that day, there's a story in the book of Exodus chapter 2. Where Moses, dressed in all of his regalia, uh, as being one of the Egyptians, and he walks out and he surveys the land and he sees his people. He, he, he leaves from the suburbs and comes into the hood and he sees his people working as slaves. So he comes and he sees them working and he notices on this day that there is an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. So Moses saw it, and it ticked him off because he had an anger issue. And he found that dude in an alley one day. And he thought that nobody was around because he looked this way, and he looked that way. And the Bible says he killed the Egyptian and then buried him in the sand. Now, what the Bible doesn't say is that the man had a weapon in his hand. What is implied is that Moses was so angry to see his people being mistreated and treated unjustly, that he took matters literally into his own hands and with that temper killed a man with his bare hands. Again, this, I can't stay here too long, but few of us have this kind of pent-up rage and animosity to take somebody out with our bad, bare hands. This man had a bad temper. But not only that, after he does meet God 
and God does begin to change him. How many know that uh, uh, sanctification is a process, that, that we don't arrive until we arrive in heaven? So, so God's still working on us. So that temper was still there, even though he met the Lord. And uh, the Bible tells a story that when God gives the commandments, the Ten Commandments, Moses has to go up to Mount Sinai. And uh, while Moses is up there for 40 days and 40 nights, the people are down below being led by Aaron to worship a golden calf. So they build this calf, things they learned from Egypt, and they, they make it out of gold and all this kind of stuff. And they prostitute themselves around this calf. Moses comes down from meeting with God. He hears noise down below. And uh, he's like, what is going on? That, that don't sound like worship. That sounds like they're having a party down there. And he comes down holding the two tablets, the Ten Commandments. And when he sees what he had heard, he heard it first. Then he saw it with his eyes that they were dancing around this golden calf. He took those two tablets. And out of frustration and anger, he threw them down and broke them. You see, when you have an anger problem, you have outbursts. You slam doors. You punch walls. You throw stuff. This man threw the tablets that God had just written. Holy tablet. So then he goes down there and he burns the golden calf. And then he makes the people drink the stuff that we're we not even going to get into that. Homeboy was hot. You could fry an egg on his head. Don't make your pastor mad. So he goes down there. And, and then he has another talk with God. And God says to him, um, you broke those tablets. The ones I chiseled out of the stone and wrote, you're going to chisel these out and you're going to write on these. So he had to replace the tablets that he broke. Why? Because homeboy had a bad temper. Now, for the most part, Mo. Moses, Mo, remained meek, calm, and under control as he led over a million Israelites out of Egypt towards the promised land. For the most part, he remained calm. When he would get tested, nine times out of ten, he would fall down and pray for the people who came against him. So he's growing in grace. God is transforming him. And they're out there in this desert where it's hot, and they're being tested for water and food here and there. They're out there for 40 years. And one day, he snaps. One day, they hit that last nerve, and that anger manifested. So before we look at his stuff, what's your stuff? What's your flaw? What's your issue? What, what's your besetting sin? What, what's your vice? Because it's easy to think everybody else has something in their eye. And you don't have anything in yours or I don't have anything in mine. No, we all have something in our eye. We all have something we're dealing with. None of us are perfect. We're being perfected. We're growing, being transformed to look like Christ. But we are not there yet. We're still dealing with things. So the most judgmental heart has a thousand microscopes to look at other people's sin, but no mirrors to look at their own. So let's make sure that as we look at Moses, 
we see ourselves. Because some of us, like Moses, we have an anger problem. Wednesday night in Bible study, we were in the portion in Ephesians 4 where Paul tells the Ephesians, be angry and do not sin. So, So there's righteous indignation, but then there's unrighteous indignation. Righteous indignation is when it's about God and you're zealous for his glory, his house, his name. And it moves you to action, to turn a table over like Jesus. But unrighteous indignation when it's about you. And rather than blessing your enemies, you're ready to uh, cuss them out. Because it's about you. And and you're angry to the point of sin. And you want to lay hands on people, but not the biblical laying of hands. No, you want to do some damage like our boy Mo. So let's look at this and be reminded. Let's put the stones down that we have for other people and about their flaws and their shortcomings and say, Lord, show me myself. So they're coming to the end as we come to Numbers 20. They're coming to the end of a 40-year trek in the desert, Uh, a a trek that should have taken but a few days to get from Egypt into Canaan, the promised land. But it's taking 40 years because of their disobedience and they're having to pay for their sin in the desert because of their unbelief. And so they're going around in circles. When we come to Numbers 20, they're in this place called Kadesh. And that's one of the places that they started out from in Numbers chapter 13 when Moses sent the spies out into the land to go and survey the land of Canaan and bring a report back. They were in Kadesh. And because they went out for 40 days and brought back a bad report saying, we can't take that land that God promised, let's go back to Egypt. Ten of the spies had a bad report. Two of them had faith. And the ten were swaying the congregation, and they turned against Moses. They turned against Joshua and Caleb. And, God, and, and they began to even say stuff like, we're going to die out here. Our children are going to die. God brought us out of Egypt for us to die out here. And God says, you know what? You just spoke your destiny with your mouth because you are going to die out here. You spoke death, you're going to receive death. And I'm going to have you march one year for each day those guys were over there. Forty years, you're going to march in circles. So you started at Kadesh. At chapter 20, as they're getting near to the end, they're back at Kadesh because they keep going. You ever been lost and keep riding by the same gas station? Well... This is back in the day before we had the GPS, you know, when when men are looking at the uh, map and we don't want instructions or help. You ask homeboy on a corner, "Uh, look here, dog, this is what you got to do. You go up there, man, you turn over here, dog. And we keep going around. And when you get lost, you get frustrated. When you keep staying in the same place, you're frustrated. These people are frustrated. Not only that, strong tower, Moses' sister Miriam has just died and they bury her. That's Aaron's sister too. So they're leading all these people. It's almost like herding cats. They got needs and they complain every day. And then his sister dies. So he doesn't even really have time to mourn. And now there's no water to drink again. And they roll up on Moses and Aaron complaining again about water as if God isn't going to give you what you need. It's a test. You don't know this from the other test and from the other test and from the other test about water? Y'all still tripping? 
So they roll up on Moses and Aaron saying, we want something to drink. And so Moses and Aaron dig this. They did what they always do. They went into the presence of the Lord. They fell on their face and they prayed. So rather than retaliating, they prayed. And that brings us to Numbers chapter 20, verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod. You and your brother Aaron gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. So here's our first point. God gives them instructions. God instructs his servant leader. He, he instructs the man of God. Here's what I want you to do. The, the people have a need. They're thirsty. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, take the rod. Now, the rod here is the rod that when Moses met God at the burning bush, God told him to throw it down, and it became a snake. He ran. Then God told him, pick it up by the tail, which is the worst place to try to pick a snake up. But he, that's what I heard. And he goes down to pick it up. And it becomes a staff again. So what God is saying, I've transformed this ordinary pole into the rod of God. Because this will be a symbol of your authority when you stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You will use this rod. You will put it in the African waters of the Nile. And that water will turn into blood. This is the rod that you will stretch over the Red Sea, and the Red Sea will part. This is the rod of God that the people recognize as the authority of God. So take the rod. It's not your rod. It's my rod. It's the rod of God. So take the rod. Then God says to him, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Now, in Exodus chapter 17, when they came to one of their episodes of thirst and not having water, God told Moses to strike the rock, to strike the rock. But this time in Numbers 20, he's saying, speak to the rock. So God reserves the right to change his methodology. Amen? Amen? Okay. So, so we don't want to get so stuck in tradition that when God starts trying to change, we can't change with him because we're just stuck. No, no. In the past, I said strike. Now I'm saying speak. But let's go a little bit deeper, though, with insight from the New Testament. Oh, that's why we have to read both, because what's concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul lets us know that that rock was Jesus. It was a type of Jesus. Why? Because the rock, speaking of stability and strength, but also this rock did something supernatural. It gushed forth water to, free, feed, uh, to, to, to quench the thirst of the people. So in Exodus 17, when he struck the rock, that was a picture of Jesus being crucified at our hands because we're all guilty of crucifying him. Our sins, we're guilty. So Moses typifies us. We drove the nails in his hands and his feet. We pierced his side. We struck the rock. But not only that, out of the rock came life-saving water. 
Water, based on John chapter 7, is a type or a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Because water brings refreshment and cleansing. The Holy Spirit brings refreshment and cleansing. So after Jesus died, what did he pour out on the church? The Holy Spirit. So these are types in the Old Testament. So when he strikes the rock, he's doing that out of obedience. But now when we get to Numbers 20, later on in the pilgrimage, God says, don't strike it, speak to it. Why? Because if you strike this rock, you're crucifying Christ again. You're trampling on his sacrifice. This is why, again, we can't make light of these images in the Old Testament because everything is about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus, so we read the Old Testament looking for Jesus. We read the New Testament looking for Jesus. And Jesus is typified by this rock. And based on Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26 through 28, we are admonished not to crucify Christ again. In other words, don't live as a professing believer a shoddy life, a life that's inconsistent with your profession where you are sinning willfully and intentionally. You are being defiant and disobedient. You are not uh, uh, with joy receiving and humbled by the sacrifice of Jesus. You're, you're making light of that by how you're living as one who claims to know him. You're crucifying him again. And so when Moses strikes this rock, he not only strikes it once, we're going to read, he's going to strike it twice. So we see that God gives instruction. Why? Moses' assignment was to bring water out of the rock for the people and to glorify God in the process. Speak to the rock. Water will come out. God will be hallowed or glorified. Just another day in the life of the children of Israel. But on this day, the leader messed up because now we see Moses and Aaron's defiance. Look at verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them. And so before I even get into what he said, where you're going to see some exclamation points up in there, listen to this. You can be in God's presence and hear clearly from God and still leave that place and go out with a personal agenda because you're mad. See, the word is going out right now. It's hitting some hearts and it's penetrating and going down deep to produce fruit. Others of us are so angry and hard-hearted. The word is going out and it's bouncing off of you because you have an agenda of how you're getting even at the end of this church service with somebody. You got a phone call, you got to make, you got an email, you got to send, you got somebody you need to think about cussing out tomorrow. You hot, you mad, you haven't forgiven your spouse, you haven't forgiven your children, you haven't forgiven your parents. You mad, you hot, and you feel justified in your anger. And God got to come by and say to you what he said to Cain, do you have any right to be angry? You ain't got no right to be angry. Who, who, who do you think you are? You're your brother's keeper. But you let that anger go, you're going to be your brother's killer. And that's what he ended up doing. So we can leave the presence of God because we really aren't here to listen. We're just here to go through the motions. Because when I leave up out of here, I'm not really trying to be changed this time. No, no, no. God, finish what you got to say. Because when me and Aaron roll up out of here, because you know Aaron a follower anyway. 
followed Miriam. He followed the crowd. Now he's following his younger brother. They mad with these folk. This is why pastors need counseling. Some of y'all, not all of y'all, can get on a pastor's last nizzard. Not all of y'all. This is one or two. But God uses them to increase your prayer life. God uses them to make you appreciate folk that don't get on your nerve. God uses them. Remember, Paul said, Lord, take this thorn away. These thorny people getting on my nerve. God said, no, I'm going to leave them there so you can taste my grace. Oh, Lord. Uh, turn to your neighbor and ask you. No, don't do that. Uh, so he leaves the presence of the Lord, and he's hot. How do you know he's hot? Look what he says in verse 10. Hear now, you rebels! Exclamation point. You rebels! <laughs> Y'all are rebelling against God. Y'all are rebelling against me and my brother Aaron. Now, here's the deal. Where did he hear that language from? Rebels. He heard God say it a couple chapters before, where God called the people rebels. So Moses is like, I'm going to call them rebels too. Time out, Mo. God can call them rebels because they his people. They not your people. They, they God's people. You haven't created not one person. God has the right to say what he wants to say to his people. And by the way, when God gets angry, because he got angry with him quite a bit, his anger is perfect. Moses, yours on the other hand, brother, your anger is not perfect. So you're trying to act like God, but you're doing it in a carnal way. You're trying to use God's language, but that language is not for you to lose, use, especially when you've lost your temper. So he's coming out trying to act like God. You rebels. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How you feel about people going to eventually come out of your mouth. So he called them rebels. And then he said to them, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Must Aaron and I bring water for y'all? Hold up, Mo. Who the one that brings the water out of the rock, man? It's not you. It's God. So this pride is you're lifting yourself up right now. God's used you in the past to do great miracles. But remember, that rod is his. That power is his, not yours. But you've gotten comfortable with God, so much so that you think it's about you and not about him. Well, you're about to have a rude awakening because what we're going to see about God is God ain't afraid to check nobody, even leaders. God, God, you may not want to check Somebody, <laughs> that dude in the White House, he don't get checked by nobody. But God ain't going to be mocked. God checks folks. And he'll send prophets to check people in his name. He'll send believers to speak the truth. You're going in his name to check folks. Say, you wrong. Because God's going to check this homeboy in a minute. But before we get there, Moses is giving the impression that he and Aaron Provide the miracle. We're going to do this. Moses, Moses, I know you're tired, but that doesn't give you the right to talk crazy like this. So then Moses, verse 11, 
lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. Who's the rock a picture of? Jesus. God says, speak. You're striking. Because a lot of time, listen to this. The anger that we have towards people is really directed at God. Because if he was God and if, if you're in control and if you know what I'm going through, you wouldn't have let this happen. So you're taking your anger and frustration out on people because you can't take your anger out on God because you can't put your hands on him. That's why Job's wife was like, curse God. You can't put your hands on him, but curse him. Moses is like, I, can't, I know better than to curse God. I know I can't put my hands on him, but I'm going to take up my frustration with him because these people are driving me nuts, and I'm going to take it out on the people, but really I'm upset with God, and I'm going to strike that rock, wishing that I could really strike God. God knows that you're angry with him. He knows that you got a hard heart. There's some people that never want to come to church again because what the church did or, or, or God let them down. Why did my grandmother die? Why did this? Why did that happen? You didn't go see grandma when she was living, but you mad that grandma did. Okay, you, you can be mad, but, but be careful because, again, you're not above getting checked. So we go on with the text. He strikes the rock twice in anger. But here's grace, grace that is greater than the sin of a leader. Here's grace. The third and final point. Let's see God's grace in action. Look at verse 11 again. Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly in the congregation, and their animals drank. Grace. I'm still going to give y'all water even though y'all tripping. We're at this place because the people are complaining. So God is like, I'm going to bless the complainers because it's my hope, based on Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that God's goodness will lead you to repentance, that he'll give you grace, what you don't deserve, because he has mercy to help you with what you need. And I'm hoping and praying that as God's people, we can change when God is better to us than we are to ourselves, to our neighbor, or to him. His grace. So he gives water to people who were just complaining. And he gives water to the angry preacher. Because pre preacher got a drink too. So God didn't have to give the water. Especially when you didn't follow the directives correctly to speak to the rock. You struck it twice and water still flowed. That's grace. Grace is when you have done something on Saturday night and you get up on Sunday morning to preach and God blesses your word because it's his word and he's gracious, not because you live right. I was just using that as an illustration. I do try to live right every day. I try, but your pastor does fall short. I'm not up here because I deserve to be here. I'm up here by grace. I do try to live a life consistent with being a pastor, being a leader, but I fall short. Every now and then, my wife and I will have an argument or a disagreement on Saturday night, sometimes riding to church, and like pastor said, before I get up here, I repent. And we make that right because I fear God. I won't play with him. But grace will change you when God doesn't expose you, when God doesn't give you what you deserve, he gives you grace. Water came out to quench the thirst of complaining people and an angry leader. 
Watch this, though. Look at verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because we don't want y'all to think grace is grease. And you can just slide by. There are consequences still. God says, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. That's grace. That's grace. Pastor, wait a minute. God just told him he's not going to go into the promised land. How is that grace? Number one is grace because God disciplined him in love because God disciplines his children. So, so, so it's grace because the alternative to discipline could have been death. Y'all, y'all, you, missed, you missed that. You missed that. God could have struck him dead right there. God took out other folk. <laughs> Let's go back to when Moses first got his calling. And he didn't circumcise his son. The Bible says God came to kill him. But Zipporah, that beautiful black African woman with sable skin, stepped in and circumcised her son's foreskin, threw it at Moses' feet, her husband, saying, you're supposed to be leading, but you're tripping right now. you become a husband of blood to me. You better thank God for a godly help meet. She'll save your life. But the Bible says God was looking to kill him. So God, God, God could have killed him. We don't like to talk about that kind of God. We just want to stay in the mercy and the grace. But all of his attributes operate all the time. So as he's grace and mercy, he's also wrath and holiness. He's a consuming fire not to be played with, especially by leaders. Leaders are under stricter judgment. You sin publicly, you're going to get dealt with publicly. You're not going in. And everybody going to know you're not going in. That was grace, though, because God could have killed him. Grace. Can I tell you something, though, that Moses learned his lesson? Yes, he did. He learned his lesson that day. How do you know he learned his lesson? Because he never did this again. (laughs) He he, he never did this again. You bet next time God says speak to something, he's going to speak to something. I want to know, have you learned your lesson? Because if you're still doing the stuff that breaks God's heart and other folks' heart, if you're still doing it, grace hasn't changed you yet. When grace hits you, it changes you. It humbles you. It transforms you. So if we keep doing the stuff David committed adultery, but you don't read of him doing that anymore because he was changed by the grace of God. The terror of the Lord kept him from sinning like that. Even when he got older and they threw a naked lady in the bed with him to keep him warm. David like, I ain't touching her. Have you been changed? You've been abusing alcohol. You've been saying, I'm going to stop this. I'm gonna st-. Have you really stopped it? Or are you still playing with it? You said you weren't going to be flirtatious on the job because God's been convicting your heart, but you keep doing. You said you were going to stop going to that pornographic site, but you keep doing. Grace hasn't really transformed you yet. You're turning grace to grease. Now, 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 God is trying to give you time to deal with this thing in private. 
because at some point it's going to become public and he might do that again to help heal you. Don't play with God. Change because of his grace. Repent. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery? They were ready to kill her. And Jesus wrote on the ground and did all that stuff and they went away. He turns and says to the woman, where are your accusers? She says, my Lord, they're gone. And he says, I don't condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Sin no more like this. Because if you really met the Lord and he's touched you about your anger, if he's touched you about your morality, if he's touched you about your material things because you've been frivolous, if he touches you, whatever it's about, you ought to go and do that no more. But if you keep doing that, then we got to question whether you you really met him. Because if you met him, his grace changes you. Yeah, I'm in process, but come on, stop doing this. Well, how else has grace shown up to prove that it's greater than our sin? Oh, let me tell you this. God graciously allowed Moses not only to live, but to see the promised land. You can't go in, but I'm a gracious father. I'm going to let you look at it. So in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 48 through 52, I won't read it for you. But before Moses died, God says, I want you to look at the land that you can't enter into, but look at it. That's grace. Now let's back up. Aaron didn't even get a chance to look because he died not long after what happened in Numbers 20. But Moses, the senior leader, God says, I'm going to show you what I took away from you. And this is why Martin Luther King, on the eve of his death, on April 3rd, 1968, prophetically, he stands up at Mason Temple in Memphis, Tennessee, on a night he wasn't even going to come out and preach because he was battling a cold. But thousands of people had gathered, and they wanted to hear him as he came into town to help the striking sanitation workers. They called the hotel, Lorraine Motel, to get him out of bed to come to the event that night. And he spoke extemporaneously for over an hour. No notes, all from his heart. And he gets to the portion at the end where he says, I may not get to the promised land with you. But God has allowed me to go up to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen strong tower. God's given that man vision to see with all that marching and all that voting to put us in a more just society. Are we there yet? No, but it's better than what it was. He saw it. And God says, now that you've seen it, I'm going to take you home. Here's another thing where grace showed up. God graciously allowed Moses to be with Jesus on the mount. And what you talking about? John, Matthew chapter 17. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain. And the Bible says he, he was transfigured in front of them. And he began to outshine the sun and his clothes were glowing. And, and they were looking at Jesus. They were getting a glimpse of the glory that is to come of the Son of God being unveiled to the world in all of his glory, Jesus gave them a sneak peek of what is to come. He gave them a preview of coming attractions. It's coming, but I'm just going to let y'all see. And the Bible says they saw Moses and Elijah show up, and they start talking with Jesus. 
So this man may not have gotten into the promised land, but he got into heaven. Hmm, that's grace. Oh, that's great. I can get into heaven, even though sometimes consequences will keep me from getting that job. Consequences may keep me from this or that, but, but it can't keep me from heaven because of grace. He's in heaven, and he's talking with Jesus. That's grace. But then in the book of Hebrews, God is so gracious about this man. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, the writer of Hebrews says that Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Pastor, why is that grace? Because Moses failed trying to lead the house, but his failings was not greater than God's grace. So God could look at the man who failed and say he's been faithful even though he was imperfect. He can look at the man who failed and lost his temper and say he was faithful in all my house because I won't allow one mistake, one sin to define him. You may have messed up, but you're not a mess up. You may have failed, but you're not a failure. My grace superabounds over Moses, and I see him as faithful in all my house. Matter of fact, he's a prophet like unto Jesus. I'm going to use this broken man to show the world what Jesus looks like. I just came by today just to try to encourage somebody. Like me, you've messed up. And I hope, like me, you know about the grace of God that covers your mess-ups and changes you and transforms you every day. May today be a turning point for you. May today be the day where, man, grace is changing my life. Uh, I like how the Clark single, uh, sisters sing it uh, when they talk about the blood and they talk about the grace. They say, uh, it could have been me. It should have been me. It would have been me. If it wasn't for the blood, if it wasn't for the grace of God. So what does that grace do? Change me. I pray today that you are changed by his grace. I pray if you're not saved that you will be saved by his grace. That's the only way you can be saved. You cannot be saved by your works or your goodness. You fall short. Your good stuff is filthiness to God. The only thing God accepts is the one who accepts his son. His son's perfect. You need Jesus' righteousness. You need his perfection debited to your bank account. And you get it by faith. Will you be saved by grace? And for those of us who are saved, will we be changed by grace? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Would you stand with me that we might pray? Yes, he's a good, good father. He's a good father. He's full of grace. Let us pray. Dad, wow. You had Moses record not only his highlights, but, Lord, you had him to write and record his lowlights where he missed the layup. He missed the free throw. He missed the ball. He, we see so many highlights of people, and we think that that's all they are, but they're more than just the good stuff. There's the bad stuff. And I thank you that this was recorded for us to remind us, Lord God, that 
We all mess up. And Moses wasn't chosen because he was good enough. He was chosen because you're gracious. We're not chosen by you because we're good. We're chosen because you're good. May we not forget this. May grace transform us. I pray for the person, Lord, who you had a divine appointment today to hear this word. They're sick and tired of doing things their way. And today is the day where they do it your way. And they rely on your strength. They rely on your mercy. Change starts within, Lord. Touch the heart. I pray for anyone that has a hard heart. You soften that heart. Anyone struggling with forgiving, Lord, you'll help them to forgive as they have been forgiven. Help us, Lord, to walk with people who are hurting. Some of them don't even know it. We have toxic family members, toxic co-workers, and they're tearing down people and institutions and homes. Would you give us a window of opportunity to love them with truth? To love them with grace. Might your love silence them and break them and transform them as you're doing with us? Lord, I pray for any man in here that is really struggling with anger and wrath. They're hurting their children hurting their wife. I pray, Lord, that we'll look afresh at this story and that we'll repent before we lose precious things. That our anger would not cause us to miss out on blessings. God, we repent as men. It's not about us any more than it was about Moses. It's about you. Have mercy on us. And we say with clear hearts and minds, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is working within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power in the church, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You got to hug about three people before you leave. You cannot leave until you hug three people.